Well, well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. Thank you to our worship team for leading us and helping to prepare our hearts. Um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago it would be a good thing if you were in that practice regularly of finding some time alone with the Lord before you arrive here, just to quiet your heart before Him and prepare your heart for what He might teach you and reveal to you. I trust you're taking my advice on that and uh, working diligently in all of that. Um, Today is one of those days that uh, when the church gathers together, we mention it all the time, that uh, we, we bring with us to this gathering our pain and our joy and our sorrow and our excitement. It kind of all mixes together. And some of us today are at the height of our Christian experience. The Lord is, has answered prayers and we are ecstatic with what he's doing in our lives. And others of us today are at the bottom trough of our Christian experience, hanging on to God's grace by a thread, wondering what in the world is happening. And we're all here together, kind of mixing together. Um, And the Lord, I want to remind us today that the Lord is big enough and powerful enough to handle all of our emotions, our joy and our pain, our anger and our frustration. You know, he can handle all of it. He's strong enough to hear your heart in all of those things. I want to make a quick note. Mary Bichard, who is Bob's mom, went home to be with the Lord this past week after a a bit of a protracted season of of, of difficulty and struggle. And and there was a, a great sense of relief For the family, she knew the Lord and she's been reunited with God and her husband. And for that, we are eternally grateful and thankful. But please be praying for the Bichard family. Obviously, it is not, uh, even though there is a a sense of joy and excitement for what she's experiencing, the pain and the difficulty of grief is is overwhelming at times. So just pray for uh, Bob and Elaine and their family as they they grieve, but, but they do so with hope, right? We grieve with hope because our Our Savior defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave and extended that gift to us. And we're reminded of the the first question in the old Heidelberg Catechism, you know, what is your only hope in life and death? That I belong body and soul to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not a hair from my head is moved without his knowledge. And so just continue to pray for Bob and Elaine. The service arrangements will be posted in today's paper. Uh, and you can contact the office later this week if you're interested. We'll have those uh, details available there as well. We find ourselves this morning in the close of the first chapter of Mark's gospel. Uh, it, Mark has revealed to us a, a record and account of Jesus' life and ministry, and we've been working through uh, that account uh, so far. We're six installments in, and uh, we're, we might just hit the end of the first chapter. So excited about that. Uh, it's a big, big milestone for us. All right, so what we're going to do today is we're going to read a, a brief passage. We're going to look at some of, the, uh, some of the details that Mark gives us about two, two specific encounters in Jesus' life and ministry. And Lord willing, we'll draw some application. He is good, and he has consistently provided uh, clarity and discernment as we are studying the scriptures, so we'll trust him that today he'll do the same for us again. Mark chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 35. We'll read all the way to verse 45. Here's what Mark tells us. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. 
And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and the people were coming to him from every quarter. All right. That first passage, the first part of that passage today is a, uh, is a glimpse into a, a time of prayer for Jesus. The Bible says that he arose very early while it was still dark, which is insightful. Do we remember what was just happening the day before? So the day before was probably a long and drawn out bit of an exhausting day for Jesus. Remember remember the, the story where the woman touched the hem of his robe and he said he could feel the power go out from him? Right? So at these moments of healing, there is at least in some, because we have to think about Jesus having this like inexhaustible storehouse of God's power, right? But he was veiled in humanity and he needed to sleep. And as he was healing, there was a power that was emanating from him and leaving him. The Bible says the day before, he was teaching in the synagogue with power and authority. And I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever had the privilege of preaching and teaching, but there is something that is somewhat tiresome about it. It is not the same as, as splitting wood for three hours, for sure. But there's something like emotionally exhausting about pleading with people to see Jesus for who he is. So here's Jesus preaching with authority, healing a, a demon-possessed man in their gathering. And immediately from there, he goes to Simon's house. Do you remember what happened at Simon's house? He healed, touched and healed his mother-in-law. And then the whole city shows up at the door. And that night he healed many diseases and cast out many demons. Jesus had a long and exhausting day. You know what? Didn't even talk about his nap. I don't know where he took his nap. You know where I take mine? On my couch in my office every Sunday at around 1.30 to 2 o'clock. Don't call me. I'm not going to answer my phone. All right? Because that's, that's sacred space there. Here's Jesus beginning to the end of the day, late into the evening, healing all manner of sickness and illness and casting out demons. If ever there was an opportunity for him to declare that he was off the next day and was going to sleep in, this is that opportunity. And the Bible says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and left. So I imagine, and I don't know if this is true or not, but the whole town was there. I imagine him waking early and having to like walk over people and if any of you have teenage children who have sleepovers at your house, it looks like a, looks like a crime scene in the morning. You're like, you wouldn't be surprised if there was chalk lines around, they're sprawled out all over the place. We had, we had a middle school boy curl up underneath our dining room table and try to sleep a couple weeks ago. Couldn't believe it. 
They're just everywhere. I imagine Jesus, Jesus waking up early in the morning, stepping over people, trying to quietly leave so he doesn't disrupt anybody. He goes out to a solitary place, a desolate place. Some of your versions might even say a desert place. Jesus leaves the comfort of the house and goes into the wilderness. And what he does there is he prays. He found a place where he could be alone with the Father. Now some, some have suggested that this, that Mark is drawing an intentional connection between the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness just a few uh, verses earlier. And I think you're about to see why in just a moment. That there's, there's coming a crisis of temptation for Jesus where he could cater to the demands of the crowd or for, pursue his mission. And some have seen this as a micro-temptation in the wilderness. I mean, if you imagine Jesus' life, you think about before he started his earthly ministry, Satan led him, or the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Here there's another opportunity before he caters to the crowds, he's alone with the Father, communing. And then we think about the cross, and that night before he went to the cross, and there's another opportunity for him to walk away from all of this, and yet he found a time to be alone with his Father so that he would do the will of God and not what he desires. Something really powerful about this. Something is going on in Jesus' life and he needs communion with the Father. So he found a place where he can get alone. But I couldn't help but notice that that Jesus, the all-sufficient one, Jesus who was in himself all the fullness of the Godhead. That's what Colossians tells us. That everything God wanted to reveal to us about himself, he put into Jesus. That he was the personification of wisdom and truth and glory. That this Jesus who said to the Pharisees, the religious people, I and the Father are one. This Jesus still wanted time to commune with his Father. Sometimes we might look at him and think, well, he's so connected to God, he wouldn't need to pray. Because his words are the words of heaven. His authority is the authority of heaven. His mind is controlled. I mean, why would he need to pray? And yet, in this perfect expression of humanity, he prioritized time with the Father. Receiving from him and drawing from the inexhaustible supply of power and grace and authority. And what, friends, might that say to us? We who are not sufficient. We who are so easily led astray. We who are riddled with uncertainty and fear and doubt and faithlessness. How much more do we need those quiet moments alone with the Lord each morning? How much more do we need to take this example and find some wilderness space for ourselves? To find a quiet place. Now, I'm not saying you have to go walk out into the woods, but if you do, you're going to be glad you did. I had a wonderful walk around my neighborhood this morning. It was amazing. If you have that opportunity, you should take it. But if not, find a quiet place in your house. Find, create a space somewhere where you go and relieve yourself of those burdens and draw from the Lord his strength. Commune with him. 
How much more do we, if Jesus himself felt the need to regularly connect with God and commune with him, to strengthen him for the trials of his day, how much more do we need that same connection and communion? But, like a group of hungry toddlers searching for their mother, they found him. He could not stay hidden for long. Simon comes looking for him. Peter, I love this guy. It's always Peter, isn't it? It's always Peter. Simon and the others, he gives me hope. He gives me hope. And we talked about this. We, read, we, we taught through the epistles of Peter a couple years ago. To see the man that Peter became by the grace of Jesus in the opening portions of those epistles is such a joy because the guy he was in the Gospels is completely clueless. Gosh, I love the story of Peter's life. Peter comes, Simon comes with some friends, the others who are with him, they're looking for him and they say to him, Jesus, ah, we found you. Everyone is looking for you. But this isn't just a statement that, oh, good, you're here. Everybody's awake. Kind of like at my house, they would find, oh, mom's awake, good. We're hungry. Are you going to make us our pancakes now? No, no, no. This was a thinly veiled rebuke. Kind of like, Jesus, what are you doing out here? All the people are over there. They're all looking for you. We're not just playing hide and seek. What are they looking for? They want healing. They want exorcisms. They want the circus. They want the show. They want the power. They want to see the miracle worker. Jesus, they're all looking for you. Because let's not be, let's not confuse ourselves here, deceive ourselves. The stuff that was happening around Jesus was amazing. Stuff that they had never seen before. He was causing quite a stir as the force of, of the heavenly kingdom has arrived and begins to push back on the force of the earthly kingdom. So what is, what is it that Simon and the others want? They want him to go back to the people. we got to give the people what they want. Jesus, this is your opportunity. You are growing in popularity. Look at the crowds. They're pressing in. Jesus, go talk to the people. You see, his reputation as a healer and a miracle worker is growing. And from an earthly perspective, if we didn't have the benefit of the Holy Spirit giving us wisdom, we would look at that and say, this is the perfect opportunity. Because now, all of a sudden, Jesus, you have a platform. And you've got a following. You could leverage that into a really cool social media account. You could have so many followers. Instantly, you could go viral. Jesus, this is your chance. Right here. Go talk to the crowds. Do you see his response? All right. We should leave. There it is. Can you see the difference between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom played out right here? The disciples say, Jesus, the crowd is waiting. Give the crowd what they want. And Jesus said, all right, we're going to go the other way. We're gonna, you're like, wait, hold on a second. You're going to leave the crowd and all these people who came for the miracle? They want to see the show. You can't, you can't turn these people away. And Jesus said, I'm going to go to the other towns that I may preach there also. 
for that is what I came to do. You see, the mission of Jesus wasn't the circus. The mission of Jesus wasn't even the healing. The mission of Jesus wasn't even the miracles. Those were all testimonies of his power. His mission was what? To preach. And what is it that he was preaching? That the time had been fulfilled, that the kingdom of heaven is near, and they need to repent and believe in the gospel. That is the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. The miracles that came in the wake of that mission were not the point. But they, those miracles, lent credibility. And all th- they validated the mission and the message. In the same way we saw miraculous gifts with the apostles in the early days of the church. People looked at that and went, what is all that about? It was to authenticate and to validate and put the stamp of approval on the message of Jesus. And when Jesus went out and said, the kingdom of God is now here, and they say, "Mm, are you sure? Okay, so to prove it, I'm going to heal the demon-possessed man in your midst. Okay, now I saw the kingdom. The captives are being set free. The sick are healed. The lame can walk again. Now I've seen with my own eyes the works of the kingdom coming with the message of the kingdom. Jesus said, I'm going to preach there also. This is why I came out. He came to introduce himself as the king of the new kingdom. And his works validated that message and his mission. So he went on a bit of a tour. And he went town to town throughout Galilee. And he did exactly what he intended to do. He preached in synagogues. And he cast out demons. He announced that the kingdom of God was near. And then he showed the kingdom of God's power over the kingdom of Satan and darkness. He gave people a a front row seat to the arrival and the inauguration of the new kingdom. Such was his, his reputation that the crowds began to come to him and word got out. So we see a time of prayer in the first portion of this passage and now we look at a time of healing, a powerful healing in the second. This encounter here in in Mark chapter 1 is also included in Matthew chapter 8 and in Luke chapter 5. It's an important encounter. One of two examples in the scripture where Jesus heals a man with leprosy. The Bible says in verse 40 that a leper came to him. Okay, so leprosy is a common thing in Israel at this time. There are somewhere around 60 to 70 different skin conditions that could be lumped under the heading of leprosy. When we think of leprosy, we really think of, I think it's called Hansen's disease, and it is the most extreme portion that that cuts off uh, blood supply to the extremities, and you begin to lose feeling in your fingertips and your extremities. So the... The commonly held misconception is that your fingers begin to rot away. That's not actually what happens. You lose all sensitivity and you begin to wear them out. You cut them and burn them and scratch them and they get infected and you don't even know it. And then it begins to decay. Leprosy, when mentioned in the scriptures, sometimes is a sign of judgment and cursing. 
Leprosy, what we, we know about it is, is that it is, like we said, it attacks the nervous system. And we can understand now why leprosy is and was such a complete and utter death sentence for those who found themselves under it. The assumption here would be that this leper had the extreme case of leprous disease, the kind that would make him an outcast, the kind that would render him unclean. I don't, I don't know if you remember, but the leper was, was committed to isolation. Right? The moment that the priest saw that leprosy was present on the body, that person was ceremonially de- de- uh, determined to be unclean, was sent out of the camp, away from the synagogue, away from their family, couldn't come within 50 paces of people, had to announce loudly that they were unclean, had to tatter their clothes so that just the sight of them would be an indication that they were dangerous and needed to be avoided. He had that kind of leprosy. John MacArthur, in his sermon on this passage, mentions multiple times, he calls leprosy a living death. And I love the way he described that. Because while their bodies were very much alive, they were at the same time just dead men and women walking, waiting such time as their bodies would give out. There was no known cure for leprosy. The one who was afflicted was put out, banished to leper colonies. And this incurable infirmity would take him soon. His entire life is now marked by this, this one thing. Every morning he wakes up, every moment of every day, this is what he thinks about. His whole life is marked by his leprous condition. But he had heard that there's a miracle worker in Galilee. He had heard that that there was a healer. He had heard that something crazy was going on. That there was new kingdom power over things that they had never seen before. He had heard that Jesus was here. And he knew that if he could just get close enough, if he could just find him, the same Jesus who had this power that, was, that everyone was talking about, that power could help him. So he pressed in on him. Which, by the way, was breaking all the rules. You can't, if you're a leper, you can't come wandering up through the crowd, bumping into people, getting to Jesus. He is willing to risk all the shame and all the embarrassment and all the disdain to go where he was never supposed to go to get what he could never provide for himself. Oh, there's a lesson in that. He was willing to risk all the shame and all the, the notoriety and all the disdain from the religious people if he could just get to Jesus. And he did. He made it all the way. He said to him, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. He just announces right up front, I know you have the power to do this. And if you would choose to make me clean, you can heal me. You can heal me. And the Bible says in verse 41 that Jesus was moved with pity. Some of your versions might say compassion. Compassion. 
Just a quick note that our Lord, although He is righteous and holy and just, looks on the situation of our brothers and sisters with empathy and compassion. He does not look on you with the fire and rage of hatred. If you have trusted Christ, you've been welcomed into his family, you are a son or a daughter of God, and if you are struggling, he sees you as struggling. And in your rebellion, he might shake his head, but he loves you just the same. And some of us need to hear this once again, because we've made shipwreck of our lives in the last months. And we're hiding from God because of our shame. Because we're afraid that he won't receive us. You need to hear once again that the Lord is gracious. And he's slow to anger. And he's rich in mercy. And he oozes with compassion for the plight of humanity. And if you're here today hiding from him because of your sin and rebellion, do the only wise thing and repent and turn to him. Run to him. And you can expect compassion. Look at Jesus' response to the untouchable. The Bible says that he reaches out his hand and he touches him. Okay, so if this guy broke all the rules by pushing his way into the crowd, Jesus just took it up another level. Jesus touched the incurable. Jesus reached out and touched the unclean and untouchable. It was a touch of compassion, a touch this man probably hadn't felt in some time. It was a touch of connection. I see you validating his humanity and his dignity. And it was a touch of healing. Okay, this isn't the point of the passage, but it might be wise to consider. If our hero and our king and the guy we say is our leader and our rabbi made it a habit to touch the untouchable, maybe the church might do a good job to follow in his example and be in places where we can reach the untouchable. Maybe we would do a good thing by submitting our fear and our uncertainty and entering into the fringes of life to meet those who need to hear about the gospel, who need a touch, who need to have their dignity affirmed and validated. Immediately, the Bible says, there's that word again, immediately, the disease left him. He was cleansed. The disease is eradicated, but the word here indicates that the effects of the disease are gone. So if, if his fingers had been gnawed away, they're back again. The Bible doesn't mention that people are healed from leprosy. When the Bible talks about lepers meeting Jesus, they are cleansed from leprosy. He's restored. Immediately, he's restored. And the power of that is unmistakable. R.C. Sproul said it this way, do not miss the power of the word of Jesus. By the word of his power, he heals a disease for which there was no known cure, one of the most dreaded afflictions of the ancient world. By the word of his power. And then he warns him sternly. He gives him a good talking to. And if you have dads that gave you a good talking to, Finger wag was always the, that was the key to me that I was getting a stern talking to. That finger was wagging in my face. 
He says sternly, don't tell anybody. Gotcha. I just, basically, I just found the cure for cancer and restored you. Don't go telling anybody. Shh. We'll keep this our secret. He says, go submit yourselves to the priest, which is, which is how you get welcomed back into the camp. You go to the priest. They're the ones who are responsible for administering the word of, of the Lord, administering the law. Leviticus 13 is very clear on what it takes to get back into the camp. So they had to go submit themselves for examination to the priests. So he took off. He had to go. He had to go find the priest, submit himself for examination. And if, if he was found to be clean, he'd be welcomed back in, which he was. He'd be fine. But Jesus says, don't go telling anybody, right? How in the world could you hold that in? How in, try to put yourself in that position. How in the world could we, could we hold that in if that was us? How in the world would we be able, I mean, let's, let's give this guy a little bit of a break. Sure, he kind of disobeyed Jesus because he told people what happened. But my goodness, if we found ourselves wandering around in a living death, if, if we found ourselves being alive and yet dead at the same time, and then all of a sudden our lives were restored to us, how could we keep that in? My friends, that's exactly what happened to us. We, we were embodying the living death. That is the description of everybody apart from Christ. The pagan and the religious alike. Here we are. That's our lives. We wandering around, fumbling in the dark, trying to figure this out, hopeless, helpless, without God in this world. That's who we were. Were we alive physically while we were spiritually dead because of our sin? Separated from God, storing up for ourselves wrath and punishment for all of eternity. But God, being rich in mercy, made our hearts alive together with him. Caused our dead hearts to beat again. Breathed into us his spirit, the breath of life. And we were invigorated again. And yet we hold it in. Was that as convicting for you as it was for me? How could we hold this in? How can we hold this in? If this is really what happened to us, if we have really been restored from a living death, how could our hearts not beat with compassion for our neighbors and loved ones? How could they not beat with zeal to share the hope of the gospel with our friends? That might have been the most challenging verse I'd studied in a long time as I saw myself in that picture. Been released from the living death by the word of the power of Jesus and yet struggling to let it out, trying to hold it in. I wonder if there's an encouragement in there for us as a church to be a little more intentional this week in our evangelistic efforts. Maybe some of us just need to be reminded of the goodness and the love of God, that he would stoop low and liberate us from the living death. Maybe our affection, our gratitude, maybe as that grows for him, our fear and our shame will diminish as our love for him increases. Please hear me. This is not a message of do more. No. No, no, no. This isn't a message of do more, but instead a message of lose yourself in what's been done for you 
and do the only appropriate thing. Smile big and tell somebody what they can find too. John MacArthur gives this insight. These two exchange places. The leper begins in the wilderness and through this encounter with Jesus now finds himself in the city surrounded by people. Jesus begins in the towns and the cities and because of this encounter now so many people press in he has to leave and go to the wilderness. And in there there's a picture of the gospel for us. That the sinless one left the throne of heaven to be cast outside the city and hung on a tree so that all who would come to him can be welcomed in. <laughs> Exchanging places. All right, so what? What does all that mean for us today? Well, I have a couple things. One, the mission of Jesus is clearly in focus in this passage. He came to preach. He came to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled. The long-awaited kingdom that had been promised thousands of years earlier, it's here. It is near. It is not established far off. It is established here. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. There it is. What is the mission of Jesus to go town to town and let people know that the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is now at hand, and the only response that is appropriate is to repent, to turn away from our former life, to turn away from our rebellion against God, and submit gladly to this new king and let him lead our lives. That's it. That is the only appropriate response. There is the message and the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in addition to that, to that mission, we also see his power, because it validated the mission. Validates his identity. If he went around claiming that he and the Father were one, but didn't do any works of power to show that he had that kind of power, what would we say? Jesus' power is clearly in focus. Today he cast out demons, teaches in synagogues with authority, he heals lepers, all of this as a way to validate his identity. The miracles are a witness to him and a witness to the new kingdom. My friends, they still are. They still are a witness to the power of the gospel. Our changed lives are still a testimony to the power of grace. Our healing spiritually, physically, emotionally is still a testimony to the power of grace. Our endurance in Christ is still a testimony to the power of grace. Our liberation from addiction and disease is still a testimony of the power of grace. Where sin and darkness and death once reigned in us, now forgiveness and peace and Christ reigns in our hearts. Our lives and our message are still witnesses to the power of the gospel. So where do you go with all of that? I mean, I've been around church since I was a kid. I don't know if I've ever heard this particular passage before, but I've heard this message before. Love people enough to share the gospel with them. Jesus is powerful. The kingdom is here, right? Here's what I want you to be reminded of today. Jesus came with a mission to preach the gospel. He validated that, his identity and the power of this kingdom by displaying his power. But friends, the work of Jesus isn't 
over in that sense. The work of redemption is finished. It is finished. But as Jesus was leaving the earth, he actually gave to his followers the same mission. Just hear it again. Matthew chapter 28. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, to his disciples, this Jesus who has all authority and power, right? This one, the power of the kingdom, the authority of the kingdom. He teaches with authority. He shows authority by healing, de- healing people and casting out demons. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go. Go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' message and his mission have not yet been fulfilled. His purposes in redemption, yes. He offered the sacrifice, yes. And now he has mobilized his body to walk in his power, to share his message, to make disciples throughout the the nations. My friends, I think there is some application for us today to walk in the strength and the power of Jesus, to continue preaching his message, to trust that he's there with us, and to look for him to do the miracles. Greater things than these you'll do, he said. I, for one, would love to see the Lord stir my own heart, the hearts of our congregation with a greater passion for making disciples. I'd love to see our congregation stepping out in obedience and faith to share the good news of the gospel with, with classmates, with teachers, with friends, neighbors, coworkers. It makes me wonder if we've got the power of God inside of us, the authority of God given to us, and the commands and wisdom of God to guide us, I can't help but think that we'll see the fruit of God in our lives. What would happen? What would happen to this capital district if a group of people really got serious about loving the Lord Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and sharing with others about this love that they found? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word for its challenge, its power, its excitement, its energy. Thank you for the way that it fuels the church of Jesus Christ. It builds us up. It equips us and challenges us. It exposes us for who we are like that mirror. And sometimes, God, we don't like what we see. So today, if we have looked into the mirror of the word, and if today, Spirit of God, you have shown us things we don't like, that we're not proud of, that are not beautiful, God, would you do the work of cleansing? Would you do the work of healing and convicting? The work of changing? We can't do it on our own. God, soften our hearts to the plight of the lost, the last, and the least. Soften our hearts, God, to the, to the human predicament. Soften our hearts to the addict, to, to the depressed, to the anxious, to the hurting, to the angry to the righteous, rage-filled. Soften our hearts to the people in our lives. Help us, God, to carry your message with your power. And God, we pray that we'd see your fruit, that the hearts of our friends and neighbors and loved ones 
would be made alive together with Christ through the power of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.